One of the things that you guys will probably notice in your bulletins is that there is no scripture listed and no name given. Um, you, you know what the scripture is by now, hopefully. It's uh, Mark chapter 4. We're going to cover verses 1 to 40. And I thought I'd be really creative with the name for this one and just call it the parable of the sower. Man, is that, is that like the height of creativity or what? Uh, but yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today, as you guys heard in the scripture reading. And... Um, Real quick, I guess, before we get started, a couple of years ago, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for these guys who are, are teaching garbage, and uh, I was listening to one of them a few years ago, um, just for, for the sake of entertainment, maybe, I, I can't remember exactly what brought me to, to listen to him. I don't think it was on TV, I think it was on the internet, uh, but he said that anytime you see the word seed in the Bible, it's referring to money. No, that, it, it does not. In fact, um, we're going to see today that it's pretty scary if somebody interprets this passage as having anything to do with money. No, we're not talking about money today. Jesus is actually going to interpret this parable for us, and uh, hopefully we see very clearly that this has absolutely nothing to do with money. So anytime you see the word seed in the Bible, it does not have to do with money necessarily. Um, Well, we've seen two primary themes thus far in our study of the book of Mark. Uh, First of all, and hopefully nobody's missed this, I don't think anybody could miss this if, uh, if you've been following along, the primary theme thus far has been the authority of Jesus. We've seen that Jesus has authority over all of these areas of life, all of these areas in the universe, including the authority to forgive sins. Jesus is the servant who rules. Uh, Mark has given us a clear picture of the fact that he has dominion over absolutely everything. And Mark isn't even completely done showing us the complete extent of Jesus' authority. But a second theme that hopefully you guys have caught as well is the theme of obedience, uh, which flows from his authority, but it's kind of a separate theme on its own, the theme of obedience. We saw that the leper that Jesus healed back in the first chapter Uh, Jesus told him, don't tell anybody, just go to the priests and present yourself. And what did he do? He went and told everybody. He he wasn't obedient. He he was disobedient. Uh, We've also seen Jesus uh, instructing people to follow him. And they were obedient. For example, um, Mark gave us the example of Levi or or Matthew. He would go on to become uh, known as Matthew. Uh, Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew immediately obeys. So there's this theme of obedience uh, that's definitely prevalent in the book of Mark. Uh, we've seen that as Jesus continued in his ministry, multitudes of people from all over the place, including the Edomites, right? Remember the bad guys from the Old Testament? Multitudes of people from all over the place were drawn to him, were following him, which was actually immediately followed by him being rejected by not only the scribes, but by his family. Uh, when his family tried to draw him away from his ministry, his response, Jesus' response was basically to tell his followers that anyone who does the will of God is his family. And so we saw that the, the bond that followers of Jesus have is stronger than a family bond. Uh, no, no statement, I don't think, could emphasize the importance of obedience more than that. Whoever does the will of God, that is my family. It's on the heels of that statement that we continue today into chapter 4, and it's important that we be mindful of, of that context, the context that, uh, you know, the rejection that he faced last week, including from the scribes and his family, uh, because today Jesus is going to illustrate what it means to be obedient to the will of God right here at the beginning of chapter 4. 
So what does it mean to be obedient to the will of God? Well, Jesus has this thing that he tends to do throughout the gospel narratives. Uh, he, he explains things, rather than just defining it for us, he gives us what's called a parable. And so today he gives us a parable to explain what it means to be obedient to the will of God. So we start in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. He, that is Jesus, we're talking about Jesus here, he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. Now, let's remember that Jesus had just uh, had left the city of Capernaum uh, because of the opposition that he faced with the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees were kind of harassing him. They were going around making all these charges, all these accusations at Jesus. And so Jesus, after he finally calls them out on it and, and puts their sin out in public for everybody to see, he withdraws from the city of Capernaum. And now he's been faced with opposition from his family and the scribes. And so Mark tells us that he goes back to the sea. We're talking about the Sea of Galilee here. Uh, He'd been there before, as we saw in the previous chapters, and it was an easy place for people to get to him. Can you imagine uh, the scenery there? You know, listening to Jesus with the waves crashing in the background. Man, that would have been, if you ask me, that would have been like perfect. But remember that before, when Jesus had gone down to the Sea of Galilee, he had wanted to teach, but he was apparently unable to do so because of the incredible multitudes, because of the the vast number of people that had shown up. And so what we had seen before was that Jesus had instructed his disciples to, uh, to have a boat ready for him in the water just in case Uh, things got out of control, and people started pressing Jesus and pressing Jesus to the edge of the water. Well, so that Jesus would have a place to go, he told his disciples, have a boat ready for me on the water's edge, because people wanted to get near to him. He wanted to teach. So this time he's teaching, and he's doing it from the boat, where nobody can trample him, nobody can crowd him, uh, nobody can come up and touch him or distract him. Mark tells us that there was a very large crowd gathered to him. Don't know how that compares to what we saw before when Jesus had gone down to the Sea of Galilee, but it's a very large crowd. Now remember that Jesus actually hadn't used the boat last time. He had told the disciples, have it ready, but Mark didn't tell us and Matthew didn't tell us that Jesus actually got into it. Instead, he had gone up to the mountains, but he does this time. This time, apparently, he's told the disciples, have the boat ready, and this time he does get into the boat. So it seems likely that this crowd was maybe more anxious, more out of control, maybe more rambunctious than the multitudes were in chapter 3. They probably did push him this time to the edge of the shore, hoping to be physically healed, hoping to touch him so that they could be physically healed. But Jesus Jesus is more interested in, in teaching them teaching them because he's more concerned with people being spiritually healed than physically healed. Let's continue. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell by the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depths of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now why do you think Jesus is speaking in a parable? Why doesn't he just say it as it is? Because he goes on to explain it, as we're going to see here in a few minutes. So why does he spend the time making up a story to illustrate the truth that he's trying to communicate? Well, the, the benefit of a parable is that it uses something that the listener is familiar with to illustrate something that they're not familiar with, so that they become familiar with it. Uh, it also, it, it kind of slightly just dims the lights a little bit and conceals the truth just a little bit, the truth that it's supposed to be illustrating, so that those who are interested in what Jesus has been teaching, they can come and, and look at it and chew on it, meditate on it, think about it, and you know, figure out how to apply it to their lives. But those who don't, those who aren't interested in what Jesus is teaching, they take it as it is. They don't, they don't take it any further. So it's really a case of the, the parables are really a case of Jesus using a, a verbal tool to separate those who are interested in him from those who aren't interested in him. And that's why Jesus concludes this parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not discriminating against the deaf here because he's not talking about physical ears. He's not talking about hearing. You know, you, know, you, you hear about uh, you know, psychologists that they're doing counseling. They'll say, oh, you, know, you need to learn to not just hear your wife. You need to learn to listen to your wife, right? And so we understand that there's a difference between hearing and listening. And so that's basically what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, if you're interested, don't just hear my words, but listen to my words. Think about it, because it's not really that hard to figure out. You'll get it if you spend the time on it. So the first thing that Jesus tells them to do as, as we start this, his first words to the crowd are, listen. Listen. Yeah, they wanted to touch him. They, they wanted to be healed. They wanted to crowd him, and that's why he's out in the boat. But he knows, he knows that they need to, uh, to settle down and quiet down and listen to what he has to say from the safety of the boat. So Jesus proceeds to tell a story about a farmer who goes out to sow. Now in the ancient world, in, in ancient Israel, in this setting, uh, seed was sown by hand, and this would have been uh, a scenario that people were familiar with. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Oh yeah, I've, se I've seen people sowing seed before. In fact, it's possible, if not likely, that on the hills behind the Sea of Galilee, uh, they were doing that right there. The, the, the hills right behind where they were all sitting, there were people back there sowing on the hillside. And so Jesus is using that to illustrate his point. The farmers of that time would walk through the fields with this huge, heavy bag of seeds slung across their shoulder, and they'd throw the seeds by the handful to the sides of the road. Now, today, we'd say, well, that seems kind of wasteful because we've got these machines that plant everything in nice, even rows, and uh, you know, that way no seed falls onto bad soil or anything like that. But in that time, if they wanted to be efficient, if they wanted to get this done quickly, uh, this is how they had to do it. They, they'd just throw it and, and aim for the good soil. And the result was that seed, uh, not all seed, ended up on the fertile soil. 
some of the seed spills out of the farmer's hand. As, as you take a handful, uh, some of it's going to just fall out on the hard surface of the side of the road. And Jesus tells us that some birds came and ate that seed, so it didn't take root. It didn't, didn't do anything. It just stayed as seed. Some of the seed falls on ground that can support vegetation that doesn't require a, a really deep root system. Today we call those things weeds. Um, because of the, the shallowness of the soil, uh, a plant that needs a good root system, if it's in uh, shallow soil, it'll eventually die. Uh, you guys know that I tried my hand at, uh, some of you know, uh, I tried my hand at gardening for the first time in my life this past year, and I discovered that there are a lot of plants that, uh, that need to put their roots really deep down. In fact, uh, squash puts their roots down really fast, really, really deep. Um, but if you get a plant and you put it in just, a, that needs a deep root system, and you put it in a shallow potter, a shallow little pot, it, it's going to die. It's not going to make it. Uh, in fact, what will happen sometimes is the root will actually push the plant right out of the soil. And then the sun comes down on the root, and the root isn't really designed to withstand the heat of the sun, and so the plant dies. That's what happens on shallow soil. Jesus says, other seed fell among thorns, and so really what happens here is the, the seed, the, the plant that springs up from the seed is in competition for the nutrients of the soil and for space above the soil. And so the thorns end up choking the seed and the seed didn't end up producing anything edible before it died. You try planting, uh, you know, some squash or something in the middle of a, ras- or a, a blackberry bush. Man, those thorns are horrible. Uh, it, it'll just destroy anything that tries to grow up among it. That's the picture that Jesus is giving us here. And finally, some, fe- some seed fell on, on fertile ground and flourished so abundantly that it multiplied itself. He says some produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, if you ask anybody who does farming or gardening, they'll tell you that's that's huge. That's almost uncalled, uh, un- unheard of. Uh, you get tenfold. You get ten times, and it's like, wow, that was, that was really good. Uh, a 30, 60, 100-fold return would be amazing. Now, Jesus isn't really giving a lesson in agriculture here. Uh, that's not the lesson. He's teaching something deeper, and he's using agriculture to explain it. And so he concludes by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, hearing doesn't have anything to do with farming, right? The point that he's making here is that listening, get this, this is, this is important. Listening is the factor that makes the difference between soil that's fertile and soil that's not. Now, I'm not talking about hearing, I'm talking about listening. Same sense, slightly different. Applying, applying, that's what makes the difference. But again, We're not talking about the ears on our heads. Jesus is talking about the ears of the heart. It's an exercise in spiritual discernment. If you have ears, hear it. Hear what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. See, Jesus doesn't want you to listen to him the same way that you might listen to the radio as you're driving in the car, uh, or, or the way that kids would listen to someone who's reading a story in the library at school or something like that. No, to hear Jesus' words, to, to listen to Jesus' words, the way that he's instructing them to hear his words means to believe them and to respond with obedience to the will of God. See, those words, his words will bear fruit in your life if you've ever heard them and listened 
the way that he is intending for us to listen. Now, everyone here has probably heard Jesus' words, love your enemies, for example, right? But whether we've listened uh, is made evident in the way, in, in whether we do it or not, right? Uh, what about praying for those who persecute you? What about making God the highest priority in your life? Something that nothing else in the world even comes close to. What about waging war violently against sin in your life? In, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Not just talking about one little thing here. He's talking about everything. Why, why are you not applying to your life the things that I'm, that I'm saying? And he goes on to say in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Not just who hear, but those who hear and observe. That's the type of listening that Jesus demands. That's what he's teaching here. And he's not saying observe as if, hmm, I'm just going to sit here and look at that. That's, that seems to be the way that a lot of people, uh, you know, it would be easier if, 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 if we could take it that way. No, he's saying that if you hear it and if you're obedient to it, you will be blessed. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be blessed. I want to experience the blessing that he's talking about there. So the question I have to ask myself then is, am I willing, am I really willing to be obedient to what he says? Let's continue. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. So much for getting some time alone, right? And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now, apparently, a lot of Jesus' followers... Now, remember, he, he had a lot of disciples. It wasn't just 12. The 12 were, uh, were specially delegated with, uh, with certain authority, which we saw last week. But apparently, a lot of his followers, including the 12, didn't hear him, at least not the way, not in the sense that the parable was, uh, was asking them to listen. Uh, this isn't an immediate reaction, however. This isn't immediately after this parable. This is actually a little bit later. Note that the disciples are asking about the parables, plural, uh, but Mark has only recorded one parable for us. Uh, why is that? Well, it's because Jesus actually taught a lot of parables after the parable of the sower. Uh, Matthew, for example, actually records several other parables that Jesus taught immediately after this one. And then he tells us in Matthew chapter... 13, verse 36, that Jesus went home, uh, probably back to Capernaum, his home, his home in Capernaum, after he finished teaching through parables. But eventually, Jesus' followers catch up with him. They come to him and ask him to explain the parable of the sower. Now, look at what Jesus says in response. He basically says that it didn't matter if he gave this parable in French or Latin, or Pig Latin, or English, or Swahili. The people weren't going to get it if they weren't interested in being obedient to him. They'd see and they'd, they'd, they'd hear the same way that, you know, if somebody walked in here and said something to me in Swahili, I'd be like, anybody in here speak Swahili? Because I sure don't. I have no idea what this person's saying. And so Jesus is saying that that's the same way that somebody who isn't interested in obedience to him is going to hear 
his words. I mean, think about like when, when you were a baby. And, uh, you know, when you see a baby, what do you do? You go up to it and you say all these cutesy little things trying to make him laugh. And you know the baby's really sitting there thinking, I'll laugh, but dude, I have no idea what you're saying. Right? So it's kind of the same thing. That's the same thing that people who aren't interested in being obedient to Jesus, that's the same thing that they're going to be experiencing. Those who see and perceive and those who hear and understand do so because they're obedient to Jesus. And thus they see, thus the mysteries of God are revealed to them. Those who don't want to be obedient to the will of God will simply remain in the dark as a result of their own willful rebellion and disobedience, their own defiance, their unwillingness to submit to the authority of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus speaks in parables then is to reveal truth to his true followers while concealing it from everyone else. The masses who were following him were mostly following him for the sake of curiosity or comfort, right? They wanted to see him work miracles. They wanted to see him heal some people. They couldn't have cared less about learning the spiritual truths that Jesus wanted to teach them. And so Jesus started speaking in parables so that those who were following after him as a result of commitment, not, curio- not just curiosity and not just comfort, but those who were seeking him as a result of commitment to him would learn something that those who were following him for the sake of whatever else would not. You see, the kingdom of God has, had always been something of a mystery up to this point. Even to people in the Old Testament, even to the people who wrote uh, parts of the Old Testament. But what Jesus is saying here is that he is the mystery of the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus had said when he had started his ministry back in chapter 1? He had gone around after John the Baptist had been arrested and taken into custody. Jesus had kind of taken over his ministry, and so he went around saying, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. See, most of the people who would have heard him said, what kingdom? All I see is you, Jesus. Exactly. Jesus is the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, just to clarify, when we're talking about mystery, uh, we're not talking about this deep, dark secret, uh, you know, like a secret handshake or a secret language or a secret society, you know, ooh, well, that's all mysterious. No, we're not talking about stuff like that. We're talking about what could be more likened to a puzzle. Uh, if we were to take bits and pieces of prophecy from the Old Testament, we might start getting an outline. Like, like if you have a puzzle, if you picture a puzzle, you might start getting the outline of that puzzle. But what Jesus is saying here is that there are some missing pieces that can only be filled in by God when somebody is obedient to Jesus. And some of those missing pieces are being filled in by Jesus through his parables. And only those who are obedient are really going to get it. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God has to reveal some truths to people. So people who wouldn't listen to the Holy Spirit's testimony about Jesus, which we saw last week, the whole thing about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the people who won't listen to the Holy Spirit's testimony about Jesus, they're not going to get it. Those who 
will listen to that testimony will get it. Those who won't, they'll sit there and, and you know, they'll be content in their own spiritual blindness and deafness, unable to understand because they're unwilling to obey. Now, when Jesus is talking about the inability of the defiant to perceive and understand, he's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, actually, we know that Isaiah had seen a lot of the same things that Jesus has been witnessing, such as rejection, right? He's seen the consequence of a hardened heart can sometimes be ignorance. A few would listen, turn from their sins, and be forgiven, but most passed on the opportunity to be forgiven for the sake of sheer pride and stubbornness, willful defiance, and the same pride and stubbornness that had led the scribes to believe that Jesus was casting out demons, casting out unclean spirits, because he was the leader of the unclean spirits. It's very similar to what Isaiah was seeing in a a way. The only reason they didn't get it was because deep down in their hearts, they didn't want to get it. They didn't want to understand why Jesus was able to cast out demons because they were ignoring the testimony of the Holy Spirit. They were willfully disobedient, willfully defiant. And it's not that God didn't want the defiant to understand the parables, and it's not that he didn't want to save them. He did. They were given the same opportunity as everyone else to practice faithful obedience. But because of the hardness of their hearts which they brought upon themselves, by the way. The hardening of the heart is something that a person brings on themselves. Because of that hardness, they were excluded from grasping anything beyond the physical imagery of Jesus' parables. So before we move on, there are two uh, pretty important points that I think we have to make uh, about parables. First of all, um, or things that we learn from the parables. First of all, there's no need for us to feel discouraged when we're talking to people who represent any of the non fertile soils. There are three of them, and there's only one fertile soil. There's no, re- no reason for us to feel discouraged when we're facing one of those three. If we're talking about Jesus regularly, faithfully, in o- obedience, the way that we should be, we have to understand that there are certain truths that we can't reveal to people, that only God can enlighten them on. That's kind of a weird thing, and it's, it, that is a little bit of a mystery that, that only God can speak to somebody in a way that's meaningful to them, and whatever you say, it's going to kind of like be talking to a wall. The second thing is that when Jesus is speaking in parables, it might initially reveal a hardened heart, but the ultimate purpose of the parables is to soften their hearts. It's to cause someone to turn to God and have their spiritual ears opened. And we're going to cover that next week, the, the whole purpose of using parables to soften a person's heart. But now what we see here is that parables aren't always immediately understood. Instead, they often take a lot of reflection. They take some time and thought before that truth is completely revealed. Jesus' followers didn't quite understand that yet. And so what they do is they, they come to him instead of trying to figure it out among themselves and come up with this theory that, you know, oh, Jesus must have been talking about money. Instead of doing that, they go to Jesus himself. Uh, and that fact alone, if you ask me, that tells me that they're serious about following Jesus. Instead of trying to come up with their own silly little theory, they, they go to him. Listen to what Jesus says as he continues. Uh, verses 13 to 20. And he, Jesus, said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? 
The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. So there you go. He didn't say anything about money in there. I promise. But stop for a minute and look back at what, uh, what Jesus starts this whole passage off by saying. He says, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Remember, he had, he had spoken many parables that day. Now, we need to understand the significance of that statement. Jesus is saying that this parable of the seed sower is important for them to understand because it's, it's the key to all of the other parables that Jesus tells. So this parable is kind of like a gatekeeper of all the other parables, right? If you're, if you're, if you're going to fully grasp any of them, you have to grasp this one first. If we miss the meaning of this parable of the seed sower, the best we can do is make Jesus' parables mean whatever we want them to mean. Like, oh, that, that, that would be about money. So, yeah, I can tell people to give me money by, yeah, by twisting this and turning this and making this mean that, right? We also need to understand what the word understand means uh, because if we don't understand understand, uh, we won't fully understand. Understand? First of all, uh, when Jesus starts speaking here, uh, he doesn't use the same word for understand twice. In English... We, we, in, in our translations, we see this, the word understand twice, and we have this assumption, oh, th- this is repetition. It's not. This isn't repetition. This is something that we, that we lose in the English. Uh, the first word, the first uh, use of the word understand uh, means to mentally comprehend. That, that fits with our understanding of to understand, right? But the second word isn't the same as the first word. The second word is actually derived from two Greek words, and it would be more accurately translated as to know by experience. Two totally separate words. Is that huge? I think that's pretty huge. I think that's, that's pretty significant. And if we miss it in English, uh, you know, we're not going to completely understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, in the second instance, we have to see that Jesus is saying that if we don't grasp it with our minds, then we won't be able to experience the things that the parables are trying to teach us, to know those things by experience. So Jesus goes on to explain to them that the various soils that he referred to in the passage of the seed sower represent different types of listeners or, or hearers. Remember, that this, this entire passage is about listening spiritually, hearing spiritually. So one of the things that we need to catch here is that when Jesus was telling the parable of the seed sower, he's doing the very thing that he's talking about. He's, he's spreading seed. He's planting seeds in people's minds and in people's hearts. God's word is represented by the seed that's being scattered in this parable. Some people who were listening had hard hearts, 
and his word or his words would be devoured by the enemy before his words even penetrated the surface of people's hearts. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever met somebody like this. I know, I know some of you have. Um, but it's scary in a way because there are people out there who are so hard-hearted against God that they just can't be, they can't be reasoned with. You can't reason with them. And it almost reaches the point where it's futile to even try because the more uh, you try to reason with them, the more unreasonable they become. And finally, you know, it kind of reaches a point where you're like, dude, okay, let's get a pizza and talk about football or something. Let's find something where we're on the same page and you can understand what I'm saying. Um, I have a friend who, um, who used to drive people crazy when, when he drove. He used to drive his wife crazy, too, because he never liked to go the same way twice. Christina, you know who I'm, uh, who I'm talking about. Uh, he was always looking for shortcuts and alternative ways to get where he was going. And so you can imagine that this guy would get lost all the time. And sometimes he'd get five minutes lost, and sometimes he'd get like an hour lost. And so it was kind of frustrating uh, driving with him. And I remember being in the car with him one time, and uh, he turned onto a road that, that I knew. And I said, oh, if, if you turn on this road, it's actually going to take us back the way that we came from. And you know what he said? He said, well, let's, let's take it anyway and just see where it goes. And I was sitting there thinking, I just told you where it goes. Uh, and Jesus is telling us right here that there will be people who do the same thing when we talk to them about Jesus and the kingdom of God. You can tell them, hey, man, I, I've, I've been in your shoes. I know where this is going. I know that you need Jesus. And to them, it's just a seed falling on hard ground. It doesn't penetrate their hearts. The second soil that Jesus tells us, he says some people will experience uh, this rush of emotions. It's an emotional rush. Um, you, you see that you know, um, you know, when they dim the lights and uh, they do a prayer and uh, you know, they play some soft music, people are more likely to respond, but those people are also more likely to fall away. So there are some people that get this emotional response, and maybe they'll temporarily accept it intellectually, but they reject it when it comes to actually being obedient to it or uh, applying it to their lives so that it never takes root. And this is, um, if, if you guys, those of you who are, are young uh, or, you know, if you're older, it's kind of like going on your first date, you know, the first time you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Initially, you're just happy that anybody wants to hold your hand or uh, to go out on a date with you or whatever. But two weeks later, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of sick of that person and you're like, oh, the, you know, they, they don't put butterflies in my stomach anymore. What happened? Well, I'll, I'll find somebody else. Uh, and so after two weeks, you, you, um, you know, you, you break up. Uh, you, you ever wonder why some people end up getting married seven, eight, nine, ten times? It's because they're chasing after that emotional rush. And as soon as the, the puppy love rush fades away, and it, it does over time, it, it will fade away over time. As soon as it's gone, they're gone. Because they're saying, hey, you know, those aren't butterflies that you're putting in my stomach anymore, and now you're just making my stomach feel upset. Right? And so what do they do? They, they give it maybe a couple years, uh, and they're out of there, because they are on to the next thing that's going to give them an emotional rush. And Jesus is telling us that the same thing happens when people hear the gospel. They get this 
emotional rush. I can be forgiven. I want that. I know that I want that. Oh God, I, I love you. I love you. I, I, I want this. And they, in, in, in the moment of this emotional rush, they think that they're experiencing something that is, is more than just an emotional rush. But it's got to be more than an emotional rush. Um, some would hear it and they'd soon realize that it's easier to chase after things like money, fame, fortune, uh, like everybody else in the world. And so what happens is Jesus gets lost in the shuffle as they get distracted by things like worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Things like that become the, the things that are on the front of their minds. Those are the people who represent the soil with the thorns. And this is actually something that has completely permeated our society. The deceitfulness of riches has completely permeated our society. According to a, a, a very recent um, Higher Education Research Institute study, get this, 78% of college freshmen say that they want to be well off financially. That might not seem like such a big deal, but you compare that with the same study that was given in 1969 when 42% gave that answer that they want to be well off financially. Further, only 48% in this recent study want to find a meaningful philosophy of life, and you compare that with 84.9% in 1969. You see what's happened there? The values have been, been switched upside down. The deceitfulness of riches has convinced our culture that money, that money is more important than finding meaning in life. They're convinced, people are convinced that money is the secret of happiness. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's the deceitfulness of riches. The soil with the thorns represents people who refuse to make God their top priority. Maybe, uh, you know, he's a hobby for them at best. There are just things maybe sometimes on Sundays they'd they'd rather be doing. There are other things to do. Uh, If there's nothing else to do, you know, they'll they'll come to church. Uh, You know, maybe they'd rather sleep in. Uh, Maybe, you know, they want to watch sports, you know, if the Seahawks are playing early or or whatever. Uh, Maybe the car needs to be cleaned or the, the yard needs to be mowed. Whatever the case, Jesus becomes something that just gets lost in the shuffle. He becomes one thing out of a hundred for this type of person. But Jesus doesn't deserve, and Jesus won't settle for being less than our top priority. Because, of the import, because if the importance of Jesus pales in comparison to the importance of other things in our lives, maybe we're not really as committed to him as we thought we were. And finally, Jesus says, those who heard and were obedient to the will of God would continue following Jesus. These are people These are the people who make God their first priority in life. And the next closest priority doesn't even touch it, doesn't even come close. There's no competition in the soil of their hearts for the word of God. It can grow. It can thrive. It can take deep, deep roots because nothing is standing in its way. And this is the minority. Their commitment to Jesus isn't based on some temporary emotional rush. Those who weren't ready to be obedient to the will of God eventually lose interest. They, they end up saying, well, you know, this story about agriculture is great, but, um, you know, wh- when is Jesus going to do a miracle? That's, that's what I want to see. What's the point of, of hanging around if all he's going to do is tell these silly little stories? For those who represent the fertile soil, their commitment is based on obedience to the will of God. 
trusting in Jesus and being obedient based on that trust. Now, in in conclusion, the point that Jesus is making for us here in in chapter 4, in the first part of chapter 4, is that it's important to be both a hearer and a doer. Because whether or not we're a doer is really the test of whether or not we're a hearer. Someone who hears and doesn't do, they they might have heard, but they didn't listen, right? At least not with their spiritual ears. They, They didn't apply it to their lives, we all know the difference, right, between hearing and listening. For example, when, when a parent tells their child to do something, what's the test of, you know, they, they might say, did you hear me? They're not asking, hey, uh, you know, are your ears working? No, th- what they're doing is they're saying, are you understanding? Are you going to apply what I have said? Now look at how Jesus ends our passage here. He says, and those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they bear the word and accept it and bear fruit. What happens when we bear fruit? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that more will be produced. More seed ends up being produced. This is what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is a call to radical obedience. Because radical obedience in the discipler's heart will end up being radical obedience in the disciple's heart. When Jesus' words confront us, when they challenge us, when they make us feel uncomfortable because it's not within my little box and you know I, I don't want to step outside my box, the response of the follower of Jesus is to say, okay, I'll be obedient. I'll step outside my box. I'm not going to be comfortable with this. That's okay because Jesus is calling me outside of my comfort zone and I'll do it because I trust him. I know that he's good. I know that he's working all things for the good of those who love him. And so even though I don't want to do this, and I'm really uncomfortable with doing this, I'll do it out of obedience. And so the application here is really twofold. Number one, don't sow sparingly. Don't sow sparingly. Talk with your friends and family and neighbors, people you know who don't know Jesus. Talk with them about Jesus and do it generously, spreading it generously and abundantly, knowing that most of the time they're not going to hear you and knowing that there are some truths that God has to reveal to a person that you can't reveal. That's okay. You can still plant seeds in their lives. Be patient and persistent, knowing that ultimately it's between the person and God. You do your part. Whether they, whether they actually believe you or not is not up to you. It's not up to you. Your job is just to sow generously. The second application here um, is I, I want you to see this parable as a call to, uh, to spiritually hear God in all areas of your lives. Uh, maybe when it comes to seeking direction from God, our hearts are like fertile soil, right? We, we want that. God, give me direction. I'll, wherever you go, wherever you lead me, I'll go. Um, but then when it comes to other aspects of our lives, like maybe helping someone who's in need, Uh, We close off our hearts, and our hearts become like that rocky soil or like the hard soil uh, that, that seed doesn't take root in. The goal is to hear God's word and apply it wherever it applies in our lives, and it applies to every aspect of our lives. And we do that because we're obedient even when it hurts, even when we're not comfortable with it at first, because that's what it means to be truly committed, and to be truly obedient, and that's the attitude that we need if we're going to follow Jesus.
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you in this season of Thanksgiving for who you are, for being a God who loves us so much that you sent your son to pay for a debt that we could not pay and that you would make it so simple and yet so complicated that we would have to give up ourselves to be obedient to you, give up our own agenda and get on board with you. Something so simple, yet something that can be so difficult for us, God. I pray that in those moments of difficulty, you would have your Holy Spirit with us to lead us, guide us, convict us, teach us, strengthen us, and to give us persistence that we might be willing to step outside of our box, step outside of our comfort zone and say, God, I love you. And because of my love for you, I'm going to be obedient to what you're asking me to do. Thank you, God, for this time. I pray that as we reflect on this passage, on this proverb, on this parable, that it would that it would bear fruit in our lives, Lord. That we would be obedient to it. Because we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper. in the springtime open and bloom it's that moment the sun breaks through a stormy afternoon stars in the night sky rain on the grass